Welcome to the Vortex Nation podcast, brought to you by lovers of hunting, shooting, public lands, the Second Amendment, and good food. All right, what is up, everybody? Got Jimmy to my right and our in-house encyclopedia, Ryan Muckenhern, across the table from us. I'm a little hot right now, just physically. <laughs> I've got a, a, a nice quarter-zip sweatshirt on. Underneath it, I've got a Hollister t-shirt, which I love the shade of gray, but I can't take my sweatshirt off because it will reveal that I'm wearing a Hollister t-shirt, which by now all of you guys know. Uh, Just a little embarrassing. Nothing against Hollister. I'm just not seven. So... (laughs) Also wearing a set of nice denim jeans, some gray sockinies, I'm just white setting, socks. I'm just setting the stage. Oh, you are, man. yeah. The world needed to know that I'm Everybody knows physically now. hot, we a do little have, bit we, sweaty. we got to pay extra attention to those folks out there who don't watch on YouTube. they got to know exactly what this room looks like. We're sitting in front of a rich wood of sorts tabletop. Anyway, carry on. A few few dents where Jim's done some manual reloading. Some manual reloading, yep. I always rub my finger right across that before every podcast. So, uh, it's episode 101, though, Mark. Ep- We're kind of having some, like, a sentimental moment. I know. We eclipsed that 100, Mark. Mm-hmm. By the way, I'm completely off the monster. That was a terrible idea. That's it's like right. drugs. That's all right. Nothing against monster, too. Everybody, Glad to have you back, Everybody Mark. drinks them successfully but me. Glad so, to have you back. Topic of today's discussion... Not my body temperature, not your drink of choice. We're talking today about a little thing that I like to call the 6-5 revolution, Jim. Yes. Now, it seems in today's day and age of modern cartridges, we have a lot of 6.5 options. We've got the 6.5 Creedmoor, which I, I almost feel like, even though it's somewhat newer, it's kind of like this baseline. And then it 10, became the baseline quite quickly. It became this baseline or quite maybe it quickly. Didn't. I don't know. We can go into the history. Yeah, of that. we'll get there. But we have actually six five options that came well much, ahead of it. Well ahead of oh, it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And some after. And to make sense of this, like can I said, you, can you? I see you have a list of all the six fives in. Frame. Oh, and it's probably just, not even all of them. them. Yeah, that's fine. But can you just list what you got here for some examples? Okay. Yeah. And by the way, so I was trying to do some research beforehand so I could talk at least a little bit smart. Yeah. All I succeeded in doing was confusing myself and really not being able to define a lot of the... I mean, there's differences. You can see differences, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it, trying to make a choice, not that easy. So we got the 6.5 Creedmoor, of course, the 6.5 the the 6.5 Norma, which might just be the 6.5 the 6.5 the 6.5 RPM, the 6.5 Short Action Ultra Meg, or the 6.5 SOM, the 6.5 PRC, the 260 Remington which I guess isn't a 6.5, but it's kind of a 6.5, the 6.5-06, the 6.5 Gap, and the 26 Nozzler, which seems kind of like a 6.5. Well, and then there's the, that Weatherby 6.5 RPM or something, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. 6.5. Did you say PRC? We have a reloading kit for that dies. I think I mentioned the 6. I think I mentioned the PRC and yes, the RPM. Yes, you did. You did. If no. I didn't, I was remiss I got doing distracted so. for a second. Ryan was pointing Too many 6.5s. So many 6.5s. Ryan, I, what's happening? Well, so I was pointing at the Hornady reloading manual, and this version here, this is their 10th. You start going through that at the 6.5 page. It's a very large chunk of the book. And is this, it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It goes, I mean, all the way back to like uh, 6.5 BR, 6.5 Carcano, 6.5 <sighs> Japanese. I mean, it just it just keeps going. 6.5 Swedish? Yep. 6.5 Swedish? Yeah, I didn't have that on there. Is there, there a 6.5 for every like country and nationality in the planet? Very popular bullet diameter. Very yep. recently American. 
Well, sort of. The 264 Winmag goes back a long time. Um, oh, mm-hmm. so there's mm-hmm. there's that. I've never heard of that one before. Yep, that's a that's that's a cool cartridge. But goes back a long time. But was it ever like a mainstay? Oh, 264 Winmag absolutely was. It was yep, okay. Yep. So pre 64 model 70s. What do they call those? The Westerners um, was the the version chambered in that. You know, and so like along today's modern rifle lines, it was they built it for the Western hunter, longer barrel, designed to to run optics of the time that were were high stepping. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. No. I mean, by modern standards, though, if you look at the cartridge, it's nothing magical. So what are there? There's some other regions of the world where six five. Well, I guess the six five Swede. Yep. Right. Is that is is that like a huge version of the ot six or Tremend- something? Yes, absolutely. Yep. Interesting. In yep. that country, that would be yeah. yeah like their, Nord- their Nordic nations, six. Nordic nations, especially the six fives are very popular. Now, is there something special about the diameter six five? Because like when you look at, I mean, we've talked to uh, the guys at Hornady before, and they'll say, you know, when you add weight to a bullet, which I know some people, you know, talk about adding weight to a bullet to make it more stable through the air or something like that, you add length. Mm-hmm. And then there's diameter of the bullet, mm-hmm. which is, I'd imagine, going to add or subtract some weight, but that's not necessarily the way of adding weight. Right. It's also how it, what, what's, how do they even decide? I think what is really magical about the projectile, its length relative to its weight relative to its diameter, like all encompassing. Um, from a hunter's perspective, you end up with a bullet that has what's called a very high sectional density, um, so it penetrates well for its weight, for its length, for its speed. And then, what, what does high sectional density mean? Mm-hmm. So the higher the figure, the more. And somebody who's listening that has a much better understanding of of the determination of sectional density is its cross section relative to its weight. Okay. Yeah. So the higher that value, the better it penetrates. So if you were shooting something that was like made out of some unobtainium that was very heavy, but it was smaller than this, it would have a lower sectional. Yeah. Density. So like if you had a wider, shorter bullet. Yeah. And the scales, right? So if we're looking at a hundred and forty grain six five bullet versus a hundred and forty grain seven millimeter bullet versus a hundred and forty grain thirty caliber bullet, which are like the progression through the diameter going up in okay. caliber, we have a lower sectional density the higher we go. Uh, in caliber, right? Because the bullet is getting wider but shorter. Correct. Okay. Okay. Or not longer necessarily. So. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, when we start goofing around with different alloys, that kind of throws things a bit because you can have longer bullets out of different alloys that have the same weight. And so, somebody who's more intelligent than I am when it comes to that kind of things could could weigh in on that. Like, if a longer bullet is made out of a lighter alloy but it has the length. What are we doing there? Um, we're not changing the SD because of the weight itself, but there's some other properties there. Uh, for the competition shooter, anyways, the bullet is slippery or fast-looking uh, in design. So we have high BC, mm-hmm. um, and that's why they're very pa- popular. Now, are, are all 6.5 bullets high BC? Not necessarily, no. Because if you look at, like, a 6.5 bench rest, most of the time the guys that I know that shot BR cartridges, whether it was 6.5 PPC or 6.5 BR, they shot flat base bullets and not really heavyweight flat base bullets. Um, it was just a really mild and accurate cartridge and bullet diameter, and so that was why they were kind of mainstream for a little bit. But well, you just said accurate, but they didn't have high BC. You don't necessarily need a high BC to be accurate. And a lot of the bench rest competitions... Get this guy out of here. Right. I was going to say, what, the, what kind of ranges guest. are we talking? We got the wrong so guest. So a lot of those BR... <laughs> Knows nothing. <laughs> yeah, we got to hit the red button. He just dropped the four drops out. He goes into a 
boat of, the lever. A pool of sharks. Um, with lasers. Yeah. Uh, no. So some of those BR competitions were like 100, 200, 300 yards. Sure. Yeah. Oh. And, and so okay. a flat base was appropriate. And it, in some some cases, you get better accuracy out of a flat base or the potential. No, is that just because the bullet is seated better in the case or something that's more consistent? Or a, a gentleman told me once that shot those is that the, in this, again, fact check, the boat tail design mm-hmm. can allow the bullet to yaw and can't upon firing. Okay. Because there's going to be parts of the bullet that are not its base that are being influenced by the pressures upon ignition. Whereas okay. A, whereas a flat base being flat in the back, the full contact of force and pressure rearward is consistent mm-hmm. and even on the base of the bullet, hmm. increasing its inherent accuracy. Okay, I'm Stre- following. Stretch this out over distance, though, and then start putting wind influence on there. The slipperier, slipperier design of a, a boat tail yeah. is going to improve that. Okay. Gotcha. It reminds me of like when you try backing up and reversing a trailer. It, you're pushing against a tiny little hitch, mm-hmm. even though the trailer is quite wide. So any little forces you enact upon it side to side can make it, wah, you know, the way go yep. over to the side. Whereas if you were just backing into someone's house and your <laughs> rear bumper was just straight up against the side of their house, it's just you just right in. If my father's listening, we I were st- talking about the killdozer right before this, so I'm, yeah. I'm <laughs> in my head, I'm thinking of d- destruction. I still can't back a trailer up. It's hard. I'm not good at it. it is. Right to go left, left to go right. Jim, you are expert status, by the way. I've seen you do some pretty impressive stuff. <laughs> it's just because Dad handed me the keys in the neighborhood with the old U-Haul once, and just told me, "Get it down the driveway. I'll see you in two hours. Figure it out." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's probably the only way to do it. Anyway, yeah. Six five. Wow, we've already okay. Somehow we started talking about sectional densities and wait. What you see, did you refer to that as SD? But that's not standard. Not standard deviation. DV, okay. Got also it. an SD. Also an SD. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, here's the deal with with a lot of cartridges nowadays. It seems like probably paraphrasing here. Cartridge development. We need mm-hmm. a new cartridge. Pour some six five on it. That's what it kind of feels yeah, like. Yeah, or pour some Creedmoor on it. Or pour some Creedmoor on it. Mm-hmm. Which actually. I own two 6.5 Creedmoors. I love them. I think it's an excellent cartridge. I it like is. these high BC, long, super sexy 6.5 bullets. Yeah. But it just, there's so many of them. Yeah, why, what's the, when I, if I were to look at 6.5 Creedmoor in front of us, right? I look at a 6.5 Creedmoor, if you were to show me the 6.5 PRC right now, I know we have the reloading dies for it in front of us, but not the actual cartridge. What would the difference be? Uh, size. So the PRC is a much larger cartridge by like it's volumetric capacity. are we talking mostly about the case or yeah, the correct. actual bullet no, bullet's too? the same so 140 143 147 and it is the same bullet. same projectile yep we're just changing the case larger behind case it. yep now when you change is there is there a number ever when somebody says 308 65 creep more 270 tw- yep. 220 swift whatever that's all talking about the bullet, correct. correct? There's no way to know exactly what case is being... Well, sometimes, depending on the designation, a lot of metric cartridges that have the remainder of the designation listed, like let's take, for example, 6.5 by 55 Swedish Mauser. Okay. 6.5 would denote the bullet diameter. 55 would denote the case length in oh, okay. millimeters. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Fun fact though, there. So, But anyway... As you change the case, then, yep. is primarily, is the thing that you're doing the most of changing just how much powder you can put behind it yep. to yep. then just shove it out the barrel faster or maybe slower? Correct. Is that it? Yeah. 
Yep. So, like, what is the six five Creedmoor? That, that, or I'm sorry, the six five PRC case. Is it longer? Is it wider? Both. It's both. Yep. Is it more or less accurate than the six five Creedmoor? I think that the and this is going to spark a lot of arguments. People talk about cartridges that are inherently accurate by design. Okay. If you have a really good rifle, you might get a cartridge that's, you know, easier to load and mild mannered, and that is going to lend itself to some some accuracy or a cartridge or a case that's easier to tune. But you can have a, a rifle in a cartridge that's quote not inherently accurate shoot phenomenally well, if everything goes right. I think the thing with the PRC is that you're adding hundreds of feet per second of velocity in a similar action length without going astronomical on the recoil scale. Um, mm. It's a hyper-accurate cartridge. It's named PRC, Precision Rifle Cartridge. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it, it's designed It's designed to do the very same thing the Creedmoor was with more juice. But just faster. Turn it up to 11. Yep. And it's about, what, 200? Uh, so 250? In, on the Chrono, with the testing that I've done, it's a 147 at about 2950. So this is a 140 at about 2710, 2720. In the Creedmoor. Yeah. All these different 6.5 bullets, mm-hmm. 6.5 gap, 6.5-06, 6.5 RPM, 6.5-300, all those, they're all just the same bullet in a different case. Yep. I feel like, what am I trying to say at this point? How? Why would you change the case side? Or why would well, you change the so case application, right? right? So here, here's a good, for instance, my hunting partner and I, talked about this a lot. Like, what is the ideal cartridge for a particular thing? And and yeah. he started shooting 6.5 Creedmoor on game many years ago. Um, his first rifle, if I can recollect this, was a, a Cooper, a custom Cooper out of uh, a gun shop in South Dakota. It was an addition gun called the Jackson Excalibur. Um, and he had that chambered in 6.5 Creedmoor. Is this very, the same guy who used to shoot 25 out 6? Yep. Okay. A very accurate rifle, very mild-mannered to shoot, but when you look at the numbers on a 6.5 Creedmoor, like if you're somebody who looks at foot-pounds of energy and velocity is the important thing in, in the factor, it's not a wildly powerful cartridge by some standards. No. Um, and that's a whole other topic of discussion, one that we can tie into some of these other cartridges here. But he wanted a little bit more. We, he wanted a, a particular velocity threshold to be met with a particular weight of bullet or a particular style of bullet to take a, a certain group of game animals. And so he built himself a 6.5-06 Ackley, which if you were to add a number of millimeters to the case length of this, well, literally take this bullet and very similar shoulder profile and put it in a 30-06 yeah. case. Okay. He, on his chronograph with 143-grain Hornady ELDXs, was getting about 31.50, and he's got a pretty middle-of-the-road load, so he's got some room to go. On this, so we're we're taking a bullet that um, the box posted velocity is twenty seven hundred and ten feet per second on the factory loaded Hornady stuff, and he's adding four hundred feet per second to it. Yeah, and, significant. Yes, and that is significant. That and is over a football field in a second. Yes, and he's going in not that much larger of a case. I don't have his low data, um, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it's moving. And it's a very impressive cartridge. I will be adding one to my list pretty shortly. So when people say they want to reach a certain velocity threshold, yep. why do they want to reach that exact how do you how does one determine what velocity threshold you even want to be at? Well, I mean, so a lot of personal interpretation of this, but if you wanted to flatten the trajectory of your cartridge, you can do it by increasing the BC, the velocity, or both. Right. And then we end up with a flatter shooting gun. 
Um, and then if you, you know, if you wanted to push a particular weight of bullet because a particular style of bullet was available in that weight class at a particular velocity to make a certain trajectory, you have to do it by increasing velocity. Hmm. Uh, and so he got all he could out of the Creedmoor and he thinks it's a great cartridge. He is, I think I've been with him and present on no less than probably a dozen big game kills with the 6.5 Creedmoor. Some of them at extraordinary ranges. Some of them, you know, at very reasonable ranges. He just wanted a little more. And we're tinkerers, so we goof around with it. And the 6.5-06 was the next step without going to a, a, a different bolt face, like a magnum bolt face mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. or a very large action. And keep Would it, he have stuck with the 6.5 still? Had he gone to this magnum bolt face and different action? Yeah, the, we talked about it. Talked about doing like a, a six five short action ultra mag or a six five wisdom, um, which is a thing. Whoa. Yep. Uh, it's something I didn't even know. And that's about. where you would need to change to a magnum bolt face. Yep. Yep. So and a long action? No, so those two specifically would stay in a shorter action. Okay. Um but the the case, the thirty out six case, uh, had already been six five long time ago. Hmm. And in, in quite a few iterations, too. So there's like the 6.5-06A square, then there's the 6.5 Gibbs, um, which are all based roughly on that case. So the 6.5-06, of course, and then the Gibbs is a little bit different, a little bit different shoulder, a little bit different neck length, um, but parent case, right? So knowing what we could get out of out of that case, or theoretically what we could get out of out of that case, that's where he made that, that choice on. So, okay. Yeah. I feel like I want to talk about every single 6.5 on here. But I just know that we'd be sitting here forever, and we'd just be I, well. And that was one of my thoughts too. Just go down fives. the list and try and and sort them all out. But so, well, let me let me pick two that at least in my head seem like they might be somewhat similar. Mm-hmm. And one, the six five Psalm mm-hmm. versus the six five WSM, mm-hmm. which I didn't even know there was a WSM version of the six five. Oh no, they've ruined it or made it better. You know, just like everybody says, oh, you just take a cartridge and creed more, and you get it better. You know what they call like, it? Six, six five leopard. Ooh, yeah. Six Sounds five hot. leopard. Yeah. Sounds it hot. Sounds like something that the bad guy in a James Bond movie would use. So, is this a commercially available cartridge? No. Okay. No, but very popular. Okay. Yeah. Also called the Sherman Short Mag. Interesting. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Well, maybe let's not talk about that one because I think. But like, well, let's okay, talk about commercially available stuff. Yeah, commercially yeah. available stuff. If you were to look at this list. How come that? What's it with the twenty six Nosler? The Nosler cartridges confuse me. Is you got twenty eight Nosler, twenty six. Mm-hmm. Now, what do those numbers refer to? So twenty six is the common bullet or the abbreviated bullet diameter. So two point two six four would be oh, a six five. Right? So it's like the two sixty, but they just took the zero off. Yep. So kind of like the F one fifty, they yep. took the the, the fifteen hundred, they made yep. it one fifty. Okay. So Nosler's approach to this is pretty slick. So twenty six, we know it's a six five. Twenty eight, we know it's a seven. 30, we know it's a 30. 33, we know it's a 338. I, they don't have a 375 Nosler, so they don't have anything in that uh, heavyweight class or medium bore class, I should say. But yeah, so the 26 Nosler is a good example because that's like a hyper-velocity cartridge. We've gone to a full, like a, almost as big a diameter a case as you can get in like a commercially available or standard action. Not super long necessarily, but it's a big case you know, hyper velocity. We're pushing that same bullet at hundreds and hundreds of feet per second faster now than the 6.5 Creedmoor. And then on the other end of that scale, the 6.5 Creedmoor. It's a good, I think, baseline to start with because everybody has one nowadays, it seems. Yeah. So in going with the 26 Nosler, with this very big case, very voluminous case, 
you are able to flatten out your trajectory tremendously. Now, we haven't had a 26 in here yet. Mark had a 28 in here, and we ran the numbers on it, and it is flat. It is flat. It is six mils to a grand. Um, Whoa. Yeah. What? It's a laser. With a 178? 175 At grain. 175? One G, it's six mils yeah. of drop? Yeah. And the... Holy uh, crap. This The Creedmoor that I was shooting at a, a grand was like... Ten, ten and a half. Ten and a, oh, my gosh. Yeah. So it's flat. And so that's the thing, wow, right? I feel like that just opened my eyes yeah. to what people are talking about when they talk about flattening a trajectory. Yep. I'm not, so like to put it into perspective for people who aren't dialing turrets a lot, let's talk about six mils of adjustment versus ten and a half, mm-hmm. right? So in I was shooting the Diamondback Tactical First Focal Plane, a scope I mentioned a lot on here, at the Vortex Extreme, five mils of adjustment per rotation of the turret. I had a total of two mils of adjustment. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, not two mils. I, that's not right. A two rotations, two full rotations I had after I was zeroed. So when I wanted to go out to a grand, I was maxed on my available adjustment. So that was it. I had run out. And then I could use my reticle from there to help me the rest of the way, but you know it's never ideal. If I was shooting that cartridge, the 28 nozzle you're talking about, mm-hmm. I'd have been able to go one full rev, and then another mil, and still have four mils of adjustment left over. That's mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah. And so that's that's why you do it. You bump that case size up, and you get into a whole different animal. Yeah. Right? Um, what would that case be, like, similar to? Uh, Maybe, like, a more common cartridge that a person go like, oh, length, I know what that looks like. Lengthen a wisdom considerably. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So s- very similar diameter to that case. Fat. Fat. But fairly long, and it, but not so long as like a like a three hundred rum case. Like you hunted moose with a three hundred rum, mm-hmm. so shorten that case up a little bit. Okay, but longer than your wisdom. It's a okay. big case when you hold it in your hand. Well, you know the twenty eight nozzler. Just neck that down half a millimeter. So then, how would that differ? Then I guess going back to the six five psalm, which is kind of like a short fat. Yeah. So the psalm is a little bit narrower than the wisdom, and a little bit shorter. Is there a significant difference? in cartridges between when you fatten the case to get more powder in it versus lengthening the case to get more powder in it? Depending on which ballistician or reloader you're talking to, yeah. There's a balance there. They, they, okay. A lot, of, a lot of folks feel the short, fat cases are very efficient, and you can accomplish... Like it burns all at once, so to speak, rather than burning up the length a long of column. a long case. Yep. Correct. So, like, when we start running numbers on 300 Win Mag, which is a cartridge I own and load for, versus 300 Wisdom, which is a cartridge I've owned and loaded for, I was really able to match what I could do in my Win Mag out of my Wisdom with less powder. Yeah, but there's some other stuff going on there, too, and it depends. If I if I went to a heavyweight bullet in my Wisdom, I would start to neuter it, whereas the Win Mag would pull away. So there's give and take. So another another point... Because there's just less room to seat that cartridge. Correct. Before we start getting into issues where we're interfering with mag length. So if we were feeding through a box-fed magazine, you know, I wouldn't be able to do a 190-grain projectile or a 200-grain projectile out of my WISM and, and have the same performance that I would say out of my wind mag because I can just seat the bullet out longer on my wind mag. Um, then again, I don't run box mags. So, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a whole bunch of, like, stepping stones that you got to tow around when you're deciding how to build a cartridge and make it either efficient or make it a powerhouse or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, length and width is, is certainly one of them. So, Gosh. 
I just feel I, there's so many parallels to like tremendous tuning, amount tuning engines. Yeah. It's like, do you bore it? Do you stroke it? Do you change the cam? Do you, you know? Yep. That's wild. Yep. But I think the bottom line with a lot of this stuff is, is like, you, like taking the 6.5 Creed, I guess, as like maybe like a modern day baseline of the mm-hmm. 6.5s and getting something that is kind of bigger, hotter, faster mm-hmm. with the same mm-hmm. bullet. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess using that bullet as a baseline as well for what it offers as far as, I'd say in general, not always, but right. y- you can get these high sectional density, high BC bullets that perform very efficiently at longer Well ranges. outside of your expectation for that caliber, like right. that, that small of a caliber. Mm-hmm. Right. It's why, it, this is complete theorization, or maybe maybe everybody knows why. Why do you think, even though the 6.5 Creedmoor isn't the oldest, by any means of the bunch, how has it become such a standard of the 6.5? Here's my theory. And I think it's a great cartridge, and I own several of them, and I've taken game animals with, with them. I think that our friends at Hornady did a very good job with this cartridge in doing a few things. One, making it very pleasant to shoot. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not a high-recoiling cartridge. This are is, there any 6.5s that are high-recoiling? Sorry to interrupt. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, like, some 6.5s will buck you pretty good. Absolutely. Is it some of the ones with the bigger, bigger cases, cases, lots of powder, yep. and even though they're pushing that same bullet, yep. it just still... absolutely. Okay. Right. So, that's, that's one of them. Uh, so it's a very pleasant cartridge to shoot, uh, or mild, whatever you want to call it. Number two, they made it extremely affordable. When it came out, it was it was 2007. The first rifle I ever saw chambered in 6.5 Creedmoor was a TC Icon Weather Shield, which was a really cool gun, and there was very few of them. And people dismissed the cartridge immediately. One, because it wasn't a 30-06 or a 7 Rem Mag. And then two... Because they said that this super proprietary ammo will never be able to be found on shelves. Mm-hmm. That stigma held and still holds to this day. I, I chat like with personal folks. computers. Yeah. It'll never work. <laughs> <laughs> I chat with folks on the phone all the time that say, I didn't go with the 6.5, I went with the 308 because you can find you can find 308 everywhere, but you can't find 6.5 anywhere. And I wholeheartedly disagree with the statement. You can buy 6.5 Creedmoor ammo pretty much everywhere now. And oh, yeah. Aside from availability, affordability, go ahead and, and price this out at, at uh, your favorite retailer for, for 6.5 ammo. And I, we've got a box of the 140-grain ELDM ammo here, which is what we use for testing at, at the shop. We shoot it at matches all the time. Look at the cost of this ammo on the retailer shelf versus the cost of the same loading in 308, the 170, or 168 or 178-grain ELD match. That is dollars cheaper. And so for a shooter who wants to go out to the range and become very familiar with their rifle, there's a few things that they have to take into consideration. How long can I shoot it before I cry uncle on the recoil scale? And how long can I shoot it until I cry uncle on the wallet? Mm-hmm. And with the mm-hmm. 6.5, you can do it a lot more than the 308. Mm. And, and then they were very clever in, in talking about these attributes to the cartridge and releasing it. That, I think, bolstered its popularity. That, and of course, it's an extraordinary cartridge. It really is a darn good cartridge. It shoots very well. It's hyper-accurate. And the rifles that it's chambered in can do wonderful things when you're hunting with it or when you're target shooting with it. Mm-hmm. But I'd say when you talk about hunting, too, at probably the ranges most people are hunting, and I guess I'll speak to maybe deer-sized game or even elk, I'd say, out to 400 or something yep. like that. It's going to work pretty darn good. It's going to work great. I'd say mm-hmm. uh, speculation. You know, I, I probably fall into this uh, 
mental camp of like, oh man, when I step it up to elk, like I need a bigger cartridge, whether that is true or not, you know, I think it might be a little bit in my head, but going back to the popularity of this cartridge, I've somewhat wondered, Ryan, if it's a cartridge that Horny did a a fantastic job with. It was adopted by the long range community. So overnight. So it kind of garnered, I guess, some street credit there very quickly. And I feel like it's a a cartridge of kind of like this size with the sorts of numbers that are attached to it and the fact that it's a mild recoiling cartridge, but it didn't attack the ego. You know what I mean? Yeah, like it was it, a go it, of what? The, of the person, like, I mean, like, I'll, I'll say even some crowds that I ran with, you know, I bought a 243. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to hunt deer with this 243. They're like, oh, kid's cartridge. Neat. Right. You know? And I feel like the 6.5, people are like, oh, yeah, 6.5 Creed. Yeah, great. No, that's a good choice. You know? Like, the same oh, group, the same group yeah. of people that would said, like, oh, that's a kid's cartridge or, you know... That same you, that same group to avoid of people. a little recoil. Yeah, quit right. being, which um, we all know Mark isn't because he's been shooting a three hundred wisdom forever. Of I'll say, I, of course, I've been shooting a lot of six five Creed, and when I jump back to that, <laughs> I'll say this: <laughs> I've seen Mark shoot some pretty high high buck and stuff. It doesn't really phase him. It's pretty. I flinch. I shoot a three hundred wisdom. I'm like, damn, that thing hurts. He shoots it nice tight little group. I'm like, man, it's not pleasant though. He's got that. I don't enjoy strength. it. He's got that dad strength. No, Dad's it's strength. not that. No, it's the truth. I think it is. But but he's very right, though. I didn't probably do a good job of explaining no, it. No, I know where you're going. And the ego thing's kind of a, a, a real deal. Because now I have people say the same thing about 308. They're like, what do you hunt with? I'm like, oh, I hunt with 308 a lot. They're like, oh, boy, 308. What, like it's inadequate? Any Anemic. And and they say the same thing about an odd six, too. Yeah, that one baffles me. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't is it sense. is it is it more so when they say in that, it's not so much like, oh, man, you pansy. It's more just kind of like... Uh, it's where like, you, oh, you're using that period cartridge. Yeah, where do you put the ramrod? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think I think part of that. I mean, there's a lot of stigma surrounding cartridges, and and the six five has gotten popular. The Creedmoor, speaking of the keep. Creedmoor. I mean, if you can get your flint to spark, <laughs> that three hundred eight will go every time. Yeah, yeah. Just, I think heaven forbid you're out in the rain. <laughs> <laughs> but, or, or having to shoot beyond forty meters. <laughs> I think that the Creedmoor did a, a good job of, of avoiding those pitfalls, whether it be by affordability or clever marketing or both. Um, it also fills a, a, an interesting void that I think was kind of left open by some other cartridges. And Yeah. Well, I guess on, on the one, if you look on either end of it, and I don't want to start making this a seven millimeter podcast by any means, but I've seen people talk about, you know, you talk about the 243, we did a 10 minute talk on that mm-hmm. and the six Creedmoor. A lot of people like shooting the six creed more in precision rifle and stuff mm-hmm. like that. It's light recoiling. You mm-hmm. can get good accuracy out of it. But then there's the question of certain types of game. Maybe, of course, I'm sure anybody could probably kill anything with any cartridge. You can kill a deer with a rock if you try hard enough. But, you know, there is the question of is it is it potent enough? Then you go up to the six five, and people don't have that question as much. Maybe when you get into the really, really big stuff, yep. that question starts to come back in. But then if you go up to the seven millimeter, are you in significantly higher recoiling, not as pleasant to shoot territory? Potentially, yeah. So the six five Creedmoor is the nice yep. balance between the two. Yep. Or I'm sorry, the six five just in general. I, I keep saying Creedmoor because it just naturally. You, comes you out. make a uh, an interesting statement there in the um, perception of potency um, or adequacy for for game applications, and I think actually its availability and shootability is somewhat of a double edged sword. Because I think some people have learned to shoot this cartridge very well. Yeah. And having the 
ability to shoot a cartridge well, I think, makes you inherently a, a, a more ethical hunter. Right. Well, yes. take, taking out of the conversation a couple of other things, right? But being able to shoot your equipment and shoot your rifle well and learn your optics makes you more lethal. Yeah. And I think that if you have a shooter who's comfortable with their rig, regardless of caliber, they can probably do some pretty fascinating things with it. The other side of that coin is that I think it has instilled a little bit of, I guess, uh, some some false overconfidence. Yeah, I, I've I've heard a lot of people say like I'd never take game animals with a two seventy past four hundred yards. What do you shoot, sir or ma'am? A six five Creedmoor. Well, that is silly because if we look at the numbers, <laughs> it's the right. same thing. Isn't Jack it? O'Connor's two seventy is eating your lunch. And now with some of the modern loadings, eating your lunch well past what you thought your lunch was available at. So I think it, it, does, it does install a little bit of uh, like a false confidence in the cartridge. Well, uh, it's somehow it's got this, a little bit of a reputation like it's made of magic. Yep, like it's like loaded with ground up yeah, like a unicorn, unicorn horns. Cart- yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I think if you, if you keep everything in, in check, you know, you'll be all right. It's a good cartridge. I think it's a fine cartridge. I think it's a good deer and antelope cartridge. Mm-hmm. Shot a deer with it three weeks ago. Yep. Yeah. Worked fabulously. What is the difference between this and the 260? I, I used its long range capabilities at 81 yards. Well done. Well done, sir. <laughs> so that's a really excellent question. When I, when I hear 260, I think Utah. The 260. <laughs> you might as well call it the 260 Utah. The 260 is a really good Am I wrong? It's popular. It, it was my first 6.5. Mm-hmm. Um, and. I was enamored with it on paper. They um, screwed it up when they first developed it, They kind it, right? of did, yeah, they kind twisted of. twisted the barrels wrong. That was part of it. Okay. Um, and then there's the optimization of case capacity and bullet weight and length. And that's where the Creedmoor really pulled ahead. So 10 years after the commercialization of, this, of the 260, which was 97, the Creedmoor was released. And if you look at the two side by side, they're very similar, like, from a structural standpoint, and then on paper, is the two sixty a modified three hundred eight case? It is. It's just straight neck down. So, and the six five Creed is modified thirty TC, which is also um, what the three hundred eight is based. No, on. the thirty TC is a little bit older than that. The thirty TC is a is a brand new case altogether. It shares oh. the same bolt face, but it has a different. Web and extractor groove pro well no, I shouldn't say web but extractor groove profile length shape shoulder profile body taper angle and neck length and, okay and and really I look at the thirty TC as somewhat of a modernized like if you were to look at the three hundred eight and be like okay we need to take this airframe trim some weight out of it so it can fly higher and faster you would come up with the thirty TC okay yeah. yep so it does everything the three hundred eight did in a slightly smaller package well. One of the guys over at uh, Hornady, Dave Emery, slapped a little bushing on there and knocked that thing down to 6.5 and plugged in a 140-grain bullet, and voila, we have the uh, 6.5 Creedmoor. What it does over the 260, if anything, is allow you to seat your bullets out longer without getting excessively longer on cartridge overall length. So we now are able to feed it in box magazines designed around the 308 Winchester, where the 260, if we were to take the same bullet and seat it out at the length required to get the right amount of powder in there to reach that velocity that we're looking for, we may exceed those mag lengths. Okay. And if you're shooting, if you're not shooting out of box mag, it doesn't really matter. Uh, right. Depending on your gun. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, but that was really the sauce. 
is we made a, a more efficient case design that allowed us to utilize that bullet weight and profile without goofing up how it's going to interact with our magazines, feeding, and that kind of thing. Because the 260, yeah. if you hot rod the 260, it's going to eat this thing's lunch too. Yeah. Um, it should. It's got larger case capacity, but there's a couple of caveats that come along with it. Like, what's your cartridge overall length? Well, depending on your gun, it doesn't matter. If you, if you have the right rifle that can accept a COAL that's a little bit longer, your 260 is going to be your superior ballistic cartridge. Yeah. COAL. Cartridge overall length. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. And that is the same thing with the 243V6 Creedmoor. The 6 Creedmoor is an improved case design that allows you to shoot those heavyweight 6-millimeter bullets that are very long and start eating into your case capacity. Yeah. Um, and then lowering your velocity with a more efficient case design. Is it always the case that the cartridges that have the uh, 308, 270, 243, whatever, designations, what is that, standard, imperial, or whatever? Standard. Versus metric. Is it always the case that the standard ones are a little bit of more, the more antiquated one and the metric ones are always the Well, bit? today, maybe. That's what it seems like. Today, it seems like every it... time I hear somebody mention a cartridge that's that's written out in metric terms, it's like, Slightly more efficient than the similar version that's in standard if, imperial. If it's we kind of like a British if, accent, Jim. It just kind of makes stuff better. If it we would have had this conversation ten years ago, though, it would be remarkably different because the only metrics that had been successful in the U.S. to any real degree were the sevens. The sevens. Yep. Yeah. Hmm. And I'll say this: for whatever reason, growing up, right? You know, my first two deer guns, both thirty out sixes, because they're thirty out sixes. Yeah. People would be like, "Oh, I've got a seven mm." I'd be like. That just don't sound right. Loser. I don't like it. But that was the only one that was really. You something. know, I don't speak Italian, <laughs> right? Listen but, here, Frenchy. But if you look at the <laughs> if you look at the two sixty four Win Mag v the seven millimeter Rem Mag, which okay. were introduced very close to each other. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very similar in performance, and I mean, depending on what camp you're in, you could give the nod and advantage to either one. The seven swept the two sixty four, put it in the dirt, and it fell into obscurity very quickly. And the seven continued on. So weird. It is. It, but the pendulum swings, right? Yeah. So I've been into, quote, long-range shooting seriously now for about, I don't know, maybe eight or nine years. Prior to that, I dabbled. And I, I can remember when, like, your three oh eight Winchester was your baseline. Right. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then the pendulum swung. And then people are like, you got to go to a three thirty eight for long-range. And this was in my ignorance and understanding that, well, okay, if you go with a three thirty eight, you're going to have a huge rifle. It's going to weigh a lot. It's going to have a completely different recoil characteristic, blah, 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 blah. The pendulum swung back, and then people were like, no, it's a 7. And then now the pendulum swings, and now it's a 6.5. So I, I, I believe that it will go somewhere else. There yeah. are, Berger is producing 270 bullets that are high weight, like 156. Okay. And it's a 270. And like when folks would think 270 they think you're shooting a tuna can out of a out of a case because they think oh it's terribly inefficient right that bullet's profile is exceptional look at that bc look at that sd that's an amazing projectile blackjack we talked about their their um 131 grain ace bullet in the the last uh podcast which mm-hmm. is a 25 caliber mm-hmm. bullet oh yeah yeah hyper yeah. bc Excellent characteristics for that. Maybe it's the 25. Maybe that's where the pendulum swings next. For now, it's definitely 6.5. Does the pendulum swing because people just get bored? Yep. I think so. <laughs> I really I think, do. I think we're, we're always looking for a better mousetrap. Yeah, 100%. You yeah. know, and like I said, yep. I've, I've 
which is why civilization advances. I mean, yep. you do get advancements out of that, but sometimes I think you just get sort of like reasons to just buy new stuff out of that too. Right, right, right. Well, and maybe this is an example of it. Maybe it's not. When I was kind of doing, looking at a couple things, like I don't know a whole lot about the 65284, mm-hmm. right? But then That's an kinda, old cartridge. I was looking at some stuff on paper, and I was like, it's not wildly, it, it didn't appear to be wildly different than a 6.5 Creedmoor. And I'm like, well, if that's was around, like. Weird action length. So intermediate action length. Not a short, not a long. Intermediate. Okay. Mm. Or if you shoot a Remington 700, it's a long. Okay. Interesting body diameter. Because it's a little chubbier than a 30-06, but the rim is rebated to fit a 30-06 or a 473 bolt face. So it's kind of a weird cartridge. Okay. Like for the, it's time when you yeah. looked at it. Well, well, even the 284. So backing up before it was a 6.5 284. It was just a 284. If you look at the guns that the 284 was developed around, like the Winchester Model 100, and you're like, that cartridge is space age. That rifle is, for some people, <laughs> I think I think the 100 is kind of a cool gun. But or the Savage 99. It's a high performance cartridge. But it was in a weird rifle platform. Well, bolt gotcha. gun shooters were like, hey, we can, peculiar one. we can make Let something out of this. And, you know, they necked it down to 6.5, and hmm. it worked. 140-grain bullet at 3,000 feet per second. That was the magic the magic swing. And it might 3,000 is pretty optimistic hmm. for its time. You know, maybe it was a 100 or 2 feet per second slower than that. But at the time, that was a really darn good case to do that on. That won countless titles. And, and accounted for hundreds of head of game at long range. And for at least when I was kind of becoming very fascinated with hand loading and ballistics and things like that was the, uh, the very high performance, interesting cartridge, the 6.5 yeah. 284. And, and now it's kind of like taking a back burner because there was a better way to do it. Um, and, and for what you're getting out of a 6.5 284 or what you can get reasonably, it's maybe not worth it. I, I, I don't know. It's really up to... The shooter. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hear people say that a particular cartridge isn't a good idea for a number of reasons, but I think it's a fine cartridge. There's better mousetraps. They are more efficient. They are smaller. They are lighter recoiling. Um, their brass is more attainable, you know, these kinds of things. Or you can buy factory ammo. And for a lot of shooters, that's a huge thing. You can go down to your local sporting goods store and you can pick this box ammo for 25 bucks. You can't do that with 6.5284. Ergo, the two six, or the 6.5 Creedmoor reigns king. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think, like, for a beginning shooter, that it makes sense to go out and get at this point in time a 6.5 Creedmoor versus, say, a 308 or something like that. Because now here's one of those, uh, here's one of those, ah, the personal computer will never work kind of, kind of questions almost. The 6.5 Creedmoor is obviously very popular, very hot now. It seems to me like it has gotten, it has broken past the, um, it's almost on a runner's high to the point where it's gotten so hot and so popular that I feel it has it has almost been inducted into the Hall of Fame as yeah. it will probably be a very timeless cartridge. I agree. Like the 308. You'll see military adoption of it, which is going to help. Military yep. adoption. Well, that'll help a lot, actually, yep. too. Yeah, which is probably part of the reason why the 308 has stayed around so long. Oh, and absolutely. The 5.56 has stayed around yes. so long, you know. So it's kind of at that point. What do you think are some of those... Timeless cartridges. Maybe I even just mentioned all of them. But those like, are good ones. Three hundred eight, six five Creedmoor. Are there any six, other ones? Seven Rem Mag, three thirty eight Win Mag, three hundred Win Mag, two seventy. I think all of those are well placed. And there's some that probably should be that aren't. 
that were great cartridges, like the straight 284 Winchester, just the, the standard version of it. Excellent cartridge. Very, very, very great cartridge. 280 Remington fell on its face. It was reintroduced twice. One, you just built a 280, didn't you? 280 AI, yeah. 280, okay. Yep, which is now gaining popularity at an alarming rate. And what is the difference between an AI and a 280 Remington? Is that like Creedmoor it? Sort, sort of, yeah. So it's a shoulder <laughs> profile change and a neck length change and a body taper change. Okay. So, you know, instead of having a, a, a taper to the cartridge, it's popped out almost straight. And have it, instead of having like a gentle slope to the shoulder, it's popped out much sharper. Hmm. Yeah, see, what do these things have to do with anything, though? Case like, volume. How does that? It's only case volume. Yep. Why does somebody even make... So when you have something like this where you say that somebody took it and they bumped it out a little bit for case volume, they, they made it a, a less gradual slope of the neck and made it a little bit more severe, if you will, so that you could get more powder in there, more case volume. Why didn't everybody just do that from the beginning? Well, it's a good question. Why I think it came down... Why it in the beginning? So if we look at like modern cartridge design... Good question. And we'll, go, we'll go way back. We'll go circa 1873. We'll go to the 4570. Okay, yeah. So straight wall, right? Straight wall. Yeah, just like a black tube powder. Of lipstick. We're filling it up and we're stuffing a bullet into it. And we start getting into some shouldered cartridges and we can go back to some of the British, like the Snyders and, and things like this. But we'll go to the 3030, so 1894. Now we're using a different type of powder and we're getting velocity out of a large case volume and a smaller bullet diameter. And that kind of gentle, gradual slope and shoulder angle to control headspace as opposed to a rim, and maybe the 3030 is not a great example for that. But that style of cartridge design was in the fashion. So they were getting their their tapers and their necks and stuff because the bullets were getting smaller. Smaller bullets, larger cases, existent cases. Got it. Yeah. Okay. And okay. so this is how we're achieving velocity with with smokeless powders. Yeah. And then moving forward and moving forward and moving forward, we got some 300 H&H. If you want to see a cartridge that looks very out of place on a modern landscape, look at a 300 H&H. I'm looking it up right now. So long tapered case, belt on it. I mean, it's got a lot of things going against it. It's a fabulous cartridge. It's really on paper, not much better than an Ot6. Oh, that's a weird looking thing. It looks like the Washington Monument. Yep. It's a goofy cartridge. Won Wimbledon several times. Amazing long-range gun. What's that 165 uh, thing Ian brought in one time that shot a cartridge similar to that where it was this real long, like, so that was a German-looking like thing. A, a 6.5 by, oh, man, I can't remember exactly, yeah. metric designation, German German cartridge. But yeah. in, in any event... I'm interrupting um, you left and right because I have so many questions, sorry. Yeah, so the, the cartridge design thing, I think it was just because that was what we knew at the time, like that was the way to do it. Hmm. Uh, you know, why did radial engines get replaced by different designs? And why are boxer motors not as widely accepted as like a, an inline or a V-shaped motor? Um, and maybe that that's a great question. Maybe that's not going to be the thing in a couple of years. Maybe we're going to have an X, you know, who knows? Well, that would be really interesting. Wouldn't it? But that would be like a kind of a, a, a transgression almost back to a radial sort of. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it... I, yeah, back to the old engines that would go... Yeah. <laughs> you know, you wind them. And I, I really think, though, like the case design input was just a function of that was what we were doing at the time. And so when P.O. Ackley came around and, and looked at what was available, especially on like an Ot6 or a Roberts case or a Mauser case or, or whatever he was toying with at the time, it made sense to him, hey, let's straighten that 
taper and pop that shoulder, we can gain yeah. 5% more powder in there. And while that sounds like an insignificant amount, if you look at, say, a 260 versus a 260 Ackley, there's a difference there. It's pretty notable. And if you look at, say, a 6.5 by 55 Swedish Mauser and a 6.5 Swedish Mauser Ackley, which is also, I think, called a 6.5 Heartthrob or something like that, that's a that's a monster case. I mean, that does a lot in a little package. I think Just like, that, like feel over, like we're talking hundreds of feet per second difference. Hundred to uh, hundred and fifty. Hundred to hundred fifty. Yeah. In, in well, maybe like fifty to one hundred and twenty-five. I'd have to run the numbers. But look at the Wisdom versus the Wind Mag. Yeah. Modernized case. We got shorter. We got wider. We got fatter. We got stronger. The case is literally heavier to help with pressure, to allow you to drive upwards of sixty thousand, sixty-five thousand psi and push your bullet faster with a smaller amount of powder. And that's just, it's modern case design. So the question is, like, are we going to be looking at this cartridge in a few years and be like, look at how big it was. And we're going to be shooting something that is going to be... The thing is huge. Yeah. Looking at something that's going to be a lot shorter and a lot fatter? I don't know. It's hard to say. The short, fat revolution kind of went away quicker than I thought it would have. Yeah. Yeah. And we went into more sensibly designed cases. Like, remember the super short mags? Yeah, maybe. So there was... Wisdom, WSM. And, and then, then there was the WSSM. Yep, correct. And so those are like comical. Like you hold them in your hand, you're like, look at you, you chubby little critter. Um, you can only fit three of them in a magazine, and they fed terribly out of a lot of guns. <laughs> and so, you know, we're working. Oh, that thing looks like an Oompa Loompa. Yeah. So we're working within the constraints of what <laughs> a cartridge is capable of doing, not only from like a ballistic standpoint, but also from a mechanical standpoint. Can mm-hmm. I feed this thing out of a magazine? Wow. Right. And so that's why we kind of gravitate. Magazines are huge. Yeah. This is why we kind of gravitate back to this design or, yeah. or these dimensions that fairly limited, if if not eliminated, body taper, the shoulder angle, the neck length, and the bolt face. Mm. And I think that's why these cartridges and those similar to it, like the 260, are going to be indoctrinated into that Hall of Fame. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Magazines remind me of, like, the rings. Rings to scopes are like magazines to ammunition and rifles. Big limiting factor. They're the big limiting factor, and they're the thing that everybody forgets about and tries to get the cheap version of. But when you think about it, it's the whole reason the dang thing runs, Mm -hmm. and the cartridge is designed around the magazines. The magazines are... I mean, it's like... It's huge. Yes. You can't can't chintz out on that. No. Shouldn't. No. So, back on on track, maybe, if we will, the 6.5 Revolution isn't here to stay. I think that depends on the attention span of the shooters in America, especially. I think, in, in like I said, with the Scandinavian and Nordic countries and, and in Europe, yeah. 6.5 is very popular and has been for a very long time. Yeah, uh, you know, Swedish Mauser is older than really any vehicle driving on the road today and powered flight, um, and it's still very, very, very popular. If you go on to some of the ammunition manufacturers in Europe like Norma or RWS or Lapua, you still see that as like a mainstay. Like, yeah. Yep. Same thing with eight Mauser. Those things are going to stay there forever. In America, are we able to hold on to the attributes and, and the successes of the 6.5 long enough? Or does something else come yeah. along and push, swing that pendulum? I got I to say, I know my attention span is not a good one. So I've already kind of gotten a little bit kind of like, eh, 6.5 Creedmoor to it. out. Yep. You know, it's kind of like, well, yeah, you, you can find a 6.5 Creedmoor under a rock somewhere, which is crazy to say at this point, because I still mm-hmm. kind of remember when it was a little bit like, ooh. A little oh, boutique. Yeah. But like yep. I got, you know, I got my uh, my Browning BLR. I got that, and I got it in a three hundred eight. So I I digressed back in time, back to a time when people were just 
front stuff and rifles and <laughs> shooting at each other in a gigantic line, red <laughs> versus blue. Well, I mean, the nice and thing then, about it, Jim, I mean, you can put anything down the barrel, nuts, bolts, screw, anything <laughs> anything you have. In a pinch. It is pretty glad, yeah. yeah it's it's. Uh, and then I also got another little something that's new that uh, I think Mark is really going to like. So, But I'm, I'm going to save that one for another podcast. We'll talk about it. I think it deserves its own. Very interesting. Sort of episode. Very interesting. But it ain't a 6.5 Creed, I'll tell you that much. We can't cut this short yet. We still have time. I, what else do we well, need Well, I've to got talk? a question. Yeah. Can I ask a question? Please. So it seems like, like so we keep going back to 6.5 Creed. That's your baseline, right? Yep. And we keep going bigger, stronger, faster. How fast can we get this bullet? How fast can we get this bullet? Mm-hmm. You know, you get all the way up to like something like 6.5-300 or the 26 Nosler or even the, the, six this, five, the new 6.5 RPM, yeah, which seems like a RPM. really, really cool, sexy cartridge. But also, like, with that, then you hear guys, well, barrel life, you're going to shoot it out. Like, uh, yes. Uh, you know, and, and, and maybe from, maybe it's like that depends on the application, right? Oh, correct. Yeah. So if you have a, if you have a hunter that might shoot two boxes of ammunition a year, that individual has a lifetime rifle. If you have a shooter, like a PRS shooter, and this is, this is two very, very, very different things. I guess it's, you know, if you have a PRS shooter that's changing a barrel a season, it's not practical to go with a cartridge like a 26 nozzler, or it's not practical to go shoot long range shooting competitions in which your round counts are into the hundreds, potentially with a cartridge like that. One, you're going to exhaust yourself from a financial standpoint because the ammunition is very expensive. And then two, you will shorten the life of your gun usably. If that doesn't bother you, yeah, go for it. It's very flat. Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry about wind that much. Is, um, it, the, uh, is it the barrel and the, uh, the throat? As well, part of it, yeah. The, I mean, this is all encompassing. So, the, if if we say we're burning a throat out, we're we're burning a barrel out. Okay, same yeah. thing. Yeah, correct. Interchangeably. Yes. Okay. So, no, you know, I'd, I'm not going to recommend somebody buys a, a super magnum six five whatever to go shoot our vortex extreme match just because how many hundreds of rounds are you looking to get out of your gun? Because it, it it is a different and measurable thing. Like you you can't expect. Uh, we just retired in March, I guess just, it's coming up on a year now. We retired one of our uh, test rifles for the range certification program, chambered in 6.5. Wait, wait, wait. Was it that old tan and green camo thing? Or no, that... that one still shoots. <laughs> that thing is a hammer. <laughs> that thing weighs 10 tons, and it has been around Vortex since this, the dawn yes. of creation. Uh, we retired a Tika T3 um, CTR. Um, not because it shot bad, but we went from reasonably expecting three-tenths of a minute of angle out of these guns to seeing about a half to three-quarter minute of angle. When you put the chronograph on it, we started seeing some spikes. And the question was, okay, could we strip it down to bare metal, kind of start over and see what it would do? Yeah, maybe. We figure we had between 5,500 and 5,700 rounds down that barrel. Amazing. Yep, yeah. and it shot great. And we're, we're, we're tracking the, the next two that are in line. They're right around 2,700 right now, as the last time I checked, each one of them. Consistently, the guys are putting up tenth, two tenth, three tenth minute groups with them. I don't think you're going to have that expectation if you have a cartridge like a 26 nozzler. Like, but it wasn't designed to do that. This isn't a round that right. we're yeah. shooting high volume. Right? It's a race engine. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Like a MotoGP bike. Yeah. You take it out when it's time to take it out and kick some ass. Yep. And then you put it away when you're, you know, it's not your daily driver. No, correct. And, and the expectation shouldn't That's be a good that way it to is. Put it. Right. The expectation shouldn't be that your your MotoGP bike is going to be the one that you cruise around all summer on. Yeah. You race it, it's thrashed after your race, and you <laughs> rebuild it. But it's a good consideration, right? It's a very it's a very good point. If you're looking at a 6.5, 
what are you looking to do with it? Mm-hmm. Some cartridges are going to be very good at that thing that you're looking for and very good at, or not very good at other things. Like if you want an uber flat shooting 6.5, you're not concerned about recoil and you're not concerned about barrel life because you're a hunter. A 6.5 300 Weatherby or a 26 Nosler is a great option. If you think you're going to spend as much time, possibly more time on the range, ringing steel and punching paper at distance, the 6.5 Creedmoor or a 260 or 65 by 47 Lapua is a much better option. Mm-hmm. It will do both, maybe not to the degree of efficiency that, or I'm not going to use efficiency, but like to the degree of, what's the word I want, like uh, severity on game or, or lethality on game oh, okay, yeah. that a 26 Nosler or 65 300 Weatherby will. You know, so there's some give and take. Make your choice based on your application. You know, when, in your opinion, do you start to step away from kind of like that just shootability, just that easy shooting rifle? When you start, you know, gravitating mm-hmm. away from, you know, like the 260, the 65 Creed, you or do you ever step away from? So I, I mean, I do. Do you have you have some rifles where you're like, I hate shooting that thing, but I'll shoot it if I have to. Absolutely, 300 yeah. Weatherby. I've got an old, I've got an ultralight in 300 Weatherby, and I hate shooting that rifle. <laughs> but it is like it is like lightning. Lightning. It's a difficult rifle to shoot. I don't shoot it half as good as I shoot my 6.5. Right. Hunting rifles, but I shoot it good enough that like to the ranges that I will ethically engage a game animal, it gets the job done quite but why? well. I feel like what you're doing is you're taking away some accuracy, likely mm-hmm. a little bit of a flinch comfort in order to just make something dead Break whereas bones. if you were shooting something more accurately like you said earlier accuracy improves your efficacy on big game can can there's a couple limiting factors like bullet construction and mark and i have firsthand run into bullet construction issues before explain so the bullet construction thing is a huge one for me because i believe that a lot of people will glom onto a cartridge um, or even a caliber designation. I'm going to pick on 6.5 because this has happened to me on a number of occasions with this cartridge. And this is not taking away from any manufacturer or anything like this. This was my, I guess, getting bewildered or starry-eyed over my ability to shoot a cartridge real well. And then I guess my expectation on how a bullet performs when it goes through a creature. So shooting these new high BC, because again, we get enamored and starstruck by that term, that BC. Mm-hmm. Um, folks are, are, are buying bullets off of shelves simply based on their BC values. Yes. Or they're arguing over the effectiveness of a cartridge based on the BC value. And that is an important factor. But it, it and this is my opinion, I don't think it's as important a factor as bullet construction. Things I will not do. No, we're talking hunting. Yes, I'm, yeah. yeah, and I, I hunt way more than I, I'm a PRS shooter. I'm not a PRS shooter. I, I'm, that's not my thing. Right. I don't want to shoot a bullet designed for exceptionally smooth transitioning through air currents for impact on steel. To hear a ping, I want to shoot a bullet that is designed to go through a front shoulder and then the ribs behind it and then go through the soft tissue and then go through the other set of ribs behind it and then go through the other off shoulder. Like, to me, that is a successful hunting bullet. That is what I'm after. I want to destroy bone structure. So, one, I have as diminished a time frame in which that animal goes from dead to alive, or alive to dead. I want it, you know, like so. Yeah. 
And then two, one that's going to prevent me from having to call in the hounds and try to find a, a game animal that maybe I got a flap injury on. And if we go back and in, in, it was the reloading podcast or the start of the reloading podcast in which we talked about how we got into reloading. I got into reloading because of a 243 and a poorly selected bullet. Not a poor bullet, but a poorly selected bullet. And I shot a doe whitetail with a 243 and a, and a, a bullet that was not frangible, but designed to fragment extremely quickly. It was designed for like predators and varmint hunting. Um, and that was a, a massive oversight on my behalf. It has nothing to do with the bullet manufacturer. More or less what happened, the bullet hit, and I'll call it a flap injury, kind of detonated on the shoulder of the animal. If I would have been like three inches back of that shoulder, I think that thing would have folded like a $5 tent. But yep. I shoot shoulders because they can't run if they don't have running gear. And there's there's a lot to be said for that, breaking down the skeletal structure of an animal as well as taking out its you know pumper. And uh, Well, I think it's also important to remember you're not always getting a broadside shot. Nope. You might have a quartering two shot. You yep. might have a quartering away shot. But yep. either way, in my again, I think we probably share the same opinion. Yeah. But you want that bullet to be able to drive through. Through and through. Yeah, and okay. Through. And, not, and not hit and end up somewhere squishy where it should have been somewhere hard or vice versa. Um, and so I've, I've had, with the 6.5 Creedmoor, um, jacket separations uh, from core. And I've had very poor penetration because of those shot angles. Um, and then on heavier animals, um, at relatively close distances, and again, this is, this is taking for granted my ability to shoot well and then possibly not matching my, my bullet construction to my expectation. I had a, a 6.5 Creedmoor impact on a mule deer that I did not hit bone on the way in nor on the way out. The bullet did not penetrate any deeper than the muscle tissue on the off shoulder. Um, so I didn't even make it to the hide. It was a very large deer, um, but I also didn't touch bone. And the bullet only weighed about 35 to 40% of what it did when it started. Now, the animal's dead. So is the question, was that a bullet failure? I don't know. I also didn't have any blood. Um, if it was a little further back, you know, did I, I, you know, where do you start drawing the lines of, well, that was a success or a, that was a failure? Had I been shooting a better constructed bullet in that same caliber, and I, had I hit bone, it wouldn't have, it would have been a moot point. I would have broken the shoulders and the thing would have tipped over and that would have been it. I would have been pleased as punch. But bullet construction is a big thing. A lot of these high BC bullets are designed to fly very well yeah. over long distances, but they give up something on the short end, and that's the ability to control the rate of expansion and have weight retention. Now, on a flip side, though, I mean, you can have that bullet go in, and maybe it comes apart, you know, to some degree or some mm -hmm. level, and it dumps all its energy, and the when, animal collapses. Potentially. When two bighorn sheep smack their heads together, how much energy is focused on that small point on their skull, just above their brain? Oh, it's like, it's like the amount of energy of, like, 10 Mack trucks hitting... Yeah, correct. building. Do they explode and die? No, but no, they, they have really they special cool skulls. Right, but they but they they stay alive, right? So I mean, by the energy theory, we they should just burst or should fly backwards or should fold or drop, right? Sure. Okay, and you shot a, a deer with your bow the other day. How many foot pounds of energy did that arrow have? I don't know fifty, right. fifty three right. tops. Oh, no, I always make the argument because right. I look at these energy numbers and I say, but we do kill things with arrows. So, so I guess hmm. 
Now they kill in a different way. They do. Um, I mean, it's all by hypoxia and blood loss and that kind of thing. We're starving the brain of oxygen due to the fact that it doesn't have blood to deliver that oxygen. But there's also the other factor with bullets, like shocking the central nervous system or destroying bone structure, that kind of thing. Yes. So I guess my on my tangent there, a lot of these bullets in a lot of these 6.5s have to cater to the fact that people have the expectation that this is a long-range cartridge, so we mm-hmm. need a long-range bullet that's designed to fly very aerodynamically. And okay, some yeah, of the, they need to cater... Okay, I think you said it. I'm trying to keep up. They need to cater to people's expectations. Yes. The tricky part is a lot of these bullets lack integrity at close range. I would say for myself, the range in which I'm engaging animals more often than mm-hmm. not. Zero to 300. Correct. And so if we're shooting a pretty heavy critter, we'll just say elk and moose, and I know people who have shot match bullets, quote, match bullets at elk and crunched them, folded them, mm-hmm. dead. So I'm, I'm not saying it doesn't work. I'm not saying it would be my first choice because like you said, Mark, when we get into tricky angles, when we get into bone structure, when we get into heavy hide, you killed a moose last year. They are thick with two C's, man. Larger mammals. Yes. Is a bullet designed with a light jacket, not made to penetrate heavy bone and hide, the best choice for that application? My opinion, it is not. However, that bullet flies really well through the air, allows you to deliver payload on target. Actually works better in controlling its rate of expansion at long range at than long it does. Range. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is a whole is other... Is that because t- at longer range, it's not delivering as much power, which would then go into just completely slow obliterating it? Correct. So mm-hmm. actually by going slower, mm-hmm. it keeps itself together better mm-hmm. than when it's going just zerpity zerp fast, yep. and then it just kind of hits something. And yep. So the trade-off is you shoot a heavily constructed bullet that requires a large amount of velocity to initiate mechanical expansion, allowing you to break bones and pass through the other side of the animal. That's what you use when you're going to be shooting something closer up. The theory, yeah. In theory. Yep. Versus a bullet that does not do, does the opposite of that at short range, but does it at the long range. Well, are we hunting long range or are we hunting short range? I I don't know how to make that determination. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, in case in point, when I was hunting blacktails back home, Mm -hmm. right, I was anticipating shots anywhere from 20 yards to potentially 600 yards, right? That was kind of, I guess, my... Com- my yeah. comfort zone yep. as far as like, and six would definitely be on the outside of what I want. They're not big deer. You know what I mean? Yep. So I guess, you know, I was having a mental uh, tug of war Yep. of what bullet do I want to shoot? I think the answer, shoot them with a 45 caliber muzzle loader. Seen it done. <sighs> you make a good point. That was a very dead deer. Now, Mark, on that deer, was there a question mark when, when you were starting to cut the thing apart as to how bullets traverse the body cavity? Yes. Yep. And that's a real thing. And so with the 6.5 Revolution, speaking to it, we want these slippery bullets because they shoot good far and they're nice to shoot. we got to take into consideration bullet construction when applying it to a game animal because it's a different thing. I'll go out mm-hmm. and shoot steel. I'll, I shoot steel at 400 meters with my 22. Sure. Who cares? I wouldn't shoot a rabbit at 300 meters with my 22 because I think it's unethical. Yeah. I might hit it. I might even hit it in the grape, and then I've got a dead rabbit for the pot. But I'm not going to do that because now we're, we're talking about killing something. This is the, the only thing about the 6.5 thing that I'm a little worried about um, is bullet construction or available projectile styles, and then the expectation because of what this series of cartridges is capable of long range. What's your favorite 6.5 bullet to go out and hunt with? 127 grain Barnes LRX. It's so interesting that you'd say a lighter weight bullet. Uh, but it's longer. It's made out of solid copper. 
Okay. I have not killed anything with the Hornady GMX, which follows along the same lines. Homogeneous yes. bullet design. So solid alloy. No as jacket? Opposed, nope. It's one piece of metal. My hunting partner has killed stuff with the GMX, and much with my experience with the Barnes bullets, it is like lightning. Um, and for a, for taking a quartering away or quartering on, or what I don't know, you call it a structural shot on a game animal, mm-hmm. a homogenous bullet design will always be the best choice because you will get the best penetration. Hmm. The balance, though, is you will get outside of that, or you can get outside of the range in which that bullet can reliably mechanically expand. Mm-hmm. That's where a lighter constructed bullet like a Hornady ELDX pulls away mm-hmm. because it can do that at a lower mm-hmm. velocity. Okay. Yeah. I haven't shot anything at extreme distance or really at too great of distance with those GMXs, but mm. I've got the 165s in my 300 short, and mm. it has been quite handy, like, have, a, like a death ray. I have to look back at the number of critters it has, but I finally recovered my first Barnes TTSX from a game animal, and I'm like 20 to 25 critters deep in the Barnes design. <laughs> finally recovered one, and it was he was bedded facing me, and I hit ribs. I hit like three ribs on the way in, kind of a raking shot. I hit the spine twice and I recovered it in between like where the spinal cord would run down the vertebral column inside of a vertebrae, like nestled in there in between his hips. So I punched him just in front of the shoulder and ended up there. And it lost exactly one grain of weight, one grain of weight. Wow. Which is that within the threshold of variance when it just Came I know the out. plastic. I know the plastic tips on those bullets weigh about a grain. <laughs> <laughs> so, fair. Wow. Enough. So, well, with that well, being said, can I ask this? Yeah. What? So it's a, you said it's a one twenty seven out of the six fives one twenty seven LRX. What is your velocity on that? Uh, so like the, and this goes back to why we make bigger cases too. This is a good tie in. Differing opinions from different people. Sixteen hundred feet per second is the line to draw. What do you mean? So. After 1,600 feet per second on a heavily heavily constructed bullet like that, that's where you start getting wonky, potentially, oh. with expansion. Mm-hmm. So you what, actually... Wait, so what is the velocity you're getting out of that bullet then? Uh, at, at the muzzle. Three, we'll just say three grand. Really? 29 and change. So it's moving quick. Hmm? Oh, you're saying once it dips below 1,600, that's where it yep. starts losing its some of its yep. efficacy. Where do you start to... At what yardage are you dipping below that 1,600 threshold? I'd have to look at the, the paperwork. Which I have. <laughs> got Which a, I have. Got it right on a cellular. Here. Which you have this on is inter- This is very interesting. This is something that I... computer. This is something I got to admit that I haven't thought of much before, you know. But you go into the ammo section at a store and you just look at the shelves. And I just, you know, a lot of people, they just look for the box that's got a deer face on it. Yep. And you just think, that's what I want to kill. It's kind of actually weird when you think about it. What do That's I want to kill? Oh, yeah, the, the there's guy. this picture on this box. <laughs> anyway, but you think that, you know, and you just go, okay, cool. I guess they say it kills deer, so it must kill deer. I've never looked at what it's made out of, you know, how it's constructed. i got to be very honest. And I don't think I'm the only one. I know that probably sounds like, I guess, to be honest, I guess I haven't done, you know, a ton of hunting. And when I have, probably, I think a lot of times I'm borrowing a rifle. And, you know, so you don't really know, but it is important to consider that. That is ultimately the thing that is going to be punching whatever it is that you're going to be putting down. So you should think about what it's, how it's constructed. Mm-hmm. Right. So about six to 700 yards, depending on the elevation. 
fantastic. Right. So you're well within. But but like that 1,600 foot per second threshold is you're like flirting with disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, I know p- people personally that have taken critters way farther than that and recovered the bullets and they look exactly like they do in the magazines. You pull them out, they're like, wow, that is quintessential performance. So I, I'm not going to shoot that, that far. So I, that's why I'm very happy with that projectile right. design. It's got to be pretty um, flat, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, relatively. It's not as flat as a super slippery bullet, but... what Do you know what the off the top of your head what the BC is on that bullet? Uh, so let me run it for the 308 here real quick. Just I know this is a 6.5 talk, but this is easy for me to do. BC is very low at .350. Oh, wow. Yep. And then there's a point where BC can overcome or can be overcome by velocity, right? Right. So we can get we can get a hit on target with less adjustment because we've upped the velocity. That's like Mark when he just asked, Hey, did you try forcing it? <laughs> <laughs> Step one. Holy crap. I can't get this bolt <laughs> off. Did you use the impact yet? <laughs> so okay. this goes back to why do we go with a larger case and a 6.5 projectile? Well, maybe yeah. we want to shoot a bullet with a particular characteristic, like let's say the Hornady GMX or the Barnes LRX, or even Nosler's Acubon, which is not a homogenous design. They've got a bullet called an E-tip, that is, to extend the effective range that of that bullet. bullet. Yeah. And that's a big consideration it's for me. It's making sense now. It's a huge right. consideration for me. It actually makes sense now. Yeah, usually I'm like this swirling, whirling mass of twirly nonsense. But yeah, that's why. Now I get, okay, huh. I wish I knew how to sum it up, but you just summed it up, so I probably don't need to say anything else. But it's like bullet selection can determine also which cartridge you find yourself yep. using. Yep. I don't think if you look at all the cartridges on this list that we have or you crack open your favorite uh, reloading manual or you Google available 6.5 millimeter cartridges. I don't think there's a bad one on there for really anything so long as you're matching the application appropriately. Yeah. Right? Because if we can take a 50 BMG case and neck it down to 6.5 Creedmoor, I don't think that's a good idea for a number of reasons. But that's that's not what we're dealing with don't here. Don't tell me what to do. Right. Well, okay. Yeah. I don't think there's a bad one on there, but really look at what you're trying to do. Well, yeah. You should I, make I, the 50 Creedmoor. <laughs> Hasn't been done. It fires a, a loaded 6.5 projectile. <laughs> we'll be kings. Um, uh, I don't know. Barrett necked down the 50 to 4.16. They shortened the case up, too, so it was a 400-grain high BC solid at 3,000 feet per second that stayed supersonic to just shy of 3,000 yards. My goodness. Yeah. That's that's for putting holes in Toyota engine blocks, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. At far away. Hey, really far away, Toyota <laughs> engine blocks. Wow. Uh, Maybe we'll sum it up. I'm gonna yeah, sum it on up. Should I put you on the spot, please? Outside of the six five creed, pick a six five on this list or a six five. Oh, any, any, yeah, any. Okay, so I'm going to say that this is from mule deer on down because I like that. Can you explain what's up from mule deer? Mule deer, for example, elk and moose, elk and and moose, caribou, caribou. I would almost put Bison. caribou in the mule deer family, other than the fact that you're generally hunting them in grizzly country. Man, here's, that's one of the big caveats. If I'm dry, flying, excuse me, not driving, flying with my rifle and my ammunition and my pocketbook, if I'm going on a hunt that's going to cost me personally that much money, and for some folks, that might not be a big deal. If this is a hunt that you can do, shoot the rifle that you're comfortable with. Heck yeah, brother. For me, if I can find an insurance policy in anything I do, and I know that 
it's silly to say that that cartridge ensures me success because it doesn't necessarily. The last thing I want to do is show up to the Tundra undergunned for the cost of the whole thing plus things with teeth that eat people. Oh, exactly. Not that you can't kill a bear with a 6.5 Creedmoor because I bet you can and I bet people have. I'd like something with a little more weight and a little more horsepower behind it that would allow me to, say, break two front shoulders or punch through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got him off topic. Sorry, Mark. Okay. Well, no, that's good. What was the question, Jake? Mule deer on down. Oh, mule deer on down. Yeah, so Mark above. Mark wanted to know what 6.5 you would choose. Yeah, so I don't hunt elks. I, I probably will someday. It's not big on my list of things to do. I think it's just that you haven't or yeah. chosen not to. I don't, I'm not going to hunt elk with a 6.5 Creedmoor, personally, for a number yep. of reasons. Um, I'm not going to Brazilians hunt, of people do it. They do. I'm not going to hunt elk. What, didn't Ian shoot an elk at just some ungodly distance with a 6.5 Creedmoor? I don't know. I think he shot it with a 28 Nosler. I think that was a 28 Nosler. Oh, it was yeah. a 28 Nosler. You're right. Sam killed a big bull at like... A long ways. Long Many ways. yards, yeah. Yep. Now, I'm not going to do that for a number of reasons. Right. And, and those reasons are unique to me. One of the biggest ones is I don't think that the... Bullets available at the velocities I can push them are the right choice. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go up to a 7 or a 30 or a 33. Wait, mm-hmm. but we get, we told you you have to pick a 6.5. Oh, off of this list. No, I just no, don't oh, any, any 6.5 like, ever. For, me, for a deer-sized game. Okay, I have two and a half answers. Okay. This is like asking me to pick a car. It's easy to get distracted. Oh. If I was to have any 6.5 cartridge in the world and the rifle to go along with ever it. Ever made. It doesn't even have made. to be made anymore. It is a 1903 Manlicker Schoenauer carbine. It may be. I've heard you say that before. It may be the absolute sexiest, finest, most beautiful, eloquent, elegant gun ever built, and it was made famous by an elephant hunter. So how's that for an interesting juxtaposition? WMD mm. Bell. They called him Karamoja Bell. Killed more elephants with that than anything. Eventually got stomped out by an elephant. Switched to something slightly larger. Went to a seven Mauser and a three hundred three Brit. Getting stomped out will do that. Yep. Um, but he killed a lot of pachyderms with a 156 grain round nose bullet fired from a 6.5 by 54 Manlicker Schoenauer. Okay. Yep. So There's that one, one of two and a half. The other is um, a 6.5 out 6 Ackley or the new 6.5 Weatherby RPM. Now, I have not seen load data for the RPM from a shooter outside of, of Weatherby. Mm-hmm. I've not held it in my hands and I can't validate the claims. And the 6.506 AI. I have, but I own a 280 AI, and it does things that the 6506 AI doesn't, but the 6506 AI does things that the 280 AI doesn't. So it's like we're in this matrix right now between these two rounds. And I think what you've just accurately done is explain why we have 17 million cartridges, because we're just trying to find the ones that do the things that the other ones don't, but then they do Do less or more. more And yeah. Yeah. Audio readers of this podcast, I assure you by this time next year, I will own one, if not two, of those 6.5 cartridges aforementioned. Okay. What's the half? Because I don't know whether it's going to be the 6.5. Oh, that's why there's two and a half. Okay, I get it. I get it. There's not an additional one. That's just kind of a half. Meh. All right. I got one more question. Yes. Everybody hates me right now. No, Um, no. When when I was talking about velocities before, Mm -hmm. right, and kind of burning out a barrel... At what point with these six five bullets do you kind of hit that threshold of like, okay, this is going to be shootable. I can shoot it as much as, relatively speaking, as much as I want, whenever I want. And then you go into something like, hey, this is just a super high speed bitch cat, and I'm using it for this. And what it's, did he call it? I, what? <laughs> what? I don't know if that needs a beep or not. 
No, I think we can actually keep... But explain what a bitch cat is. Just like super fast. Row, row, row. Bitch wow. cat. Anybody you know, ever hunted a bitch cat? But like, you like, <laughs> I guess comparing like a 6.5300 versus like a 6.5 Creed, right? Like, At what point have you gone from the daily driver to the race engine? Yes. I am not a metallurgist, so I, I, I can't speak to the resiliency of modern barrel steel with the various treatments that are in there. But I think it's a 140 grain bullet at... So the bearing surfaces that you encounter on a lot of commonly placed 140 grain bullets at about 3,100 feet per second. Okay. Okay. As we get over that... It's bitch cat. It's bitch cat. <laughs> All right. I'm so glad you said that. Can we make stickers? We need six shirts. 6'5 six bitch cat. We, oh, need, we need shirts. We need, uh, one shirt is going to say, you can't catch bass like this <laughs> with a picture of a goose <laughs> flying across it. Quote from Eric. Thank you, Eric. You can't catch bass like geese. And uh, no, you the other can't. one's that gonna is be, a true statement. That, yes, that is one hundred percent true. And the other is going to be bitch cat with a picture of a six five Creedmoor on it or something. <laughs> something. Well, there you have it, folks. Boom, Ryan. Any last final closing thoughts before we sign off? I think that, uh, ladies and gentlemen, listening to this podcast, if you're looking for a cartridge that you can shoot a lot of for not a lot of money, it's still the six five Creedmoor. I think it's going to be for a very long time. Yeah. Um. You know, we delved into a little bit of reloading adventures. James, you said, you know what? I probably wouldn't do it again. No. And I think this is an example of a cartridge that you couldn't have picked a better cartridge to never reload. What? The 6.5 Creedmoor. Oh, I get it, because you can get it so easily from yeah. the factory and good ammo. I think for you guys and gals out there shooting mule deers, antelopes, and, and western whitetails, anything with a 6.5 in front of it is going to be a great choice. Uh, consider bullet construction when we talk about the ethical taking of game. Bam. Set it. All right. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. Tell us what you think about the 6.5 Revolution. Hit us up on Instagram. Tell us what you think about Bitch Cat. And uh, we'll see you next time. Woof. That was a good 101. Have Stay gr- tuned for 102, I guess. All right. Have a great day, everybody. See Bye. ya. Bye. All right. That'll wrap it up for this episode of the Vortex Nation podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hit that subscribe button so you can always stay up to date on the latest happenings over here at the Vortex Nation podcast. Leave us a review or comment down below. We want to hear what you have to say about the show. Maybe what you like, maybe what you didn't like. So that way we can make these podcasts as good as they can be. You can also follow us on Instagram at Vortex Nation Podcast. We'll be posting about each episode released. So that way you can go back, find these things, maybe grab a little nugget of information that you can take with you to the range, out in the field or uh, maybe to the kitchen if we're talking about some good food. So, again, everybody, thanks, and happy hunting and shooting. We appreciate it. Have a good one.